chapter of 1 John. Now keep in mind the, the context that this is falling in. The, the context still begins at verse 15 and runs through the end of the chapter. I really want to get to the end of the chapter last week, but time wasn't going to allow for that. So that's okay, but we're still in that context of, of John warning about the Antichrist. Uh, again, that's plural that John warned about in the spirit of Antichrist that is in the world. We're still in uh, we're still in that uh, that section in that context. So verse 24 in 1 John chapter 2 says, Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. So back to, uh, back to the beginning of the verse. Let that therefore abide in you. Well, what is that? Well, he goes on to explain what that is. Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. Well, what, what specifically is he talking about? Well, if you go back to the first verse of the first chapter of 1 John, you see what John writes there. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. And this is what they had heard from the beginning. What is the word of life? The word of life is Jesus Christ himself and this is what these people would have heard from the beginning now this is very easily misinterpreted 2,000 years later where we're at right now uh, to say well John's saying what I heard from the beginning as far as from the moment that I got converted what did I hear then no folks John wasn't writing uh, to people that were 2,000 years into the future this applies to us yes but what, who was he writing to? He was writing to the first and second generation church. These were uh, this was a whole new doctrine, a whole new system, a whole new theology uh, to these people. 
Remember, the Jews that would have heard this, they had lived under the law for thousands of years coming up to, the, coming up to Jesus Christ. The law and everything in the Old Testament uh, pointed toward the Messiah. Not only the law, but uh, so many other things in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus Christ, pointed to the Messiah that was promised to come. Uh, the, the law did, the tabernacle did, all the furniture in the tabernacle, the shoe bread did, the, the, the candle stands, everything, uh, everything about the Old Testament pointed to Jesus Christ, including the sacrifices uh, that took place, the animals that were offered. There were innocent animals that had never done anything wrong, yet they were offered in place or in the stead of those that had done wrong. So everything pointed toward Jesus Christ. So when John says, let that therefore abide in you, which you have heard from the beginning, he's writing to first and second generation uh, uh, believers in Jesus Christ. And he's saying uh, uh, what you heard from the apostles themselves. Remember in chapter one, he said, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which we have heard. Who? John and the other apostles, those that had abode with Jesus Christ as he walked upon this earth, those that had eaten meals with the man and had, and had camped out with the man and had fellowship with the man in the physical sense. Uh, these, are, these are the things that he's saying, you hold on to these. And folks, it is no different for us. He is not talking about from the beginning of your conversion. I look back to the beginning of when I first got converted to where I am now, and I'm not patting myself on the back or giving myself kudos by any means, but my theology then was way off from where it is now. Why is that? Because I've had my nose in the Word. Because I've read what the Word says. All I knew when I first got converted was that I was a sinner, and I came up off of there saved. I come up, I come up off of my knees, a born-again saint of God, and that's all I really knew. So I can't go back to that and say, well, John tells me to hold on to that which was from the beginning. No, what was from the beginning was Jesus Christ, the word of life. And he's saying, you hold on to what the apostles had taught you about the gospel, the gospel in particular, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But not only those things, you remember the life that Jesus Christ lived before, uh, uh, before the death. You remember what the death stood for and, and that the, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. You remember the burial of Jesus Christ, but you remember uh, his glorious resurrection and you remember his glorious ascension under the Father where he's now making intercession for us. These are the things that we need to hold on to. If anything else is presented to us, folks, we need to be careful with it. We've got to be careful with it. Paul gives, uh, gives uh, very specific uh, instructions as far as being careful of any other gospel. Said if any man or any angel presents another gospel to you, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. Why? Because there's only one gospel. There's only one gospel, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and then to the Greek. But that gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is what we've got to hold on to. So anything you read in this scripture or anything that's presented to you by another teacher or by another preacher, if it goes against the gospel of Christ, it is antichrist and it is anti-God and it is anti-salvation. It is anti-gospel. It is anti-gospel of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we've got to hold on to.
Anything else? Yeah. Folks, you be careful with it. There's some, there's some weird things floating around out there. We might get into some of that a little bit later. Let that therefore abide in you. Abide. Let it dwell within you. Let it live in you. Folks, going to church once a week is all great and fine and well, but is the gospel abiding in you? There's all kinds of people sitting in church week after week, and month after month, and sermon after sermon, but the gospel is not abiding in them. They're there out of habit. They're there because they think that's what they're supposed to do. I can't stand to hear a Christian say, I go to church on Sunday because that's just what I do. I go to hear about God. And I go to worship God. I go to sing about God. And I go to hear people testify about the goodness of God Amen. and what God's done in their lives. These are the reasons I go to church. Not just because it's a, it's a habitual or a religious thing that I do. I go to worship God. That's the entire Amen. design of the church. The church gathers together and, and the saints feed off of one another. We feed off of the testimony. The spirit jumps from breast to a breast. And, and, and the saints are fed by these things. We're fed by the word of God, yes. But my goodness, doesn't it make you feel better when you hear somebody testify about something that you've been going through yourself? Yeah. Maybe that's the very reason you were put there for that yeah. service that morning or that evening or whatever the case is. But is the gospel abiding in you? John says, John here gives commandment, really. Let, let that therefore abide in you. Now that word therefore is very important. Because that puts us back to the previous verses that we covered last week about the Antichrists that are in the world and the spirit of Antichrist that is in the world. He says, let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, future tense, shall remain in you, ye shall, future tense, ye shall, ye shall continue in the Son and in the Father. If you've truly got the gospel, of Jesus Christ abiding in you. If, it, if it's a true blue salvation that you have received and not a false conversion uh, that you've received, and there's a lot of that that goes on, I'm afraid, in the world today. And why is that? Because of the false gospel that's been presented. But if that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye, ye shall continue in the Son and the Father. If that which you have heard from the beginning. What have we heard from the beginning? We heard the gospel. If you're sitting here saved this morning, you heard the gospel at some point in your life. You heard the gospel preached. The Bible says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans chapter 10. So you heard the gospel at some point in your life. And that gospel uh, and the spirit of God used the gospel to convict your heart and show you the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, show you the truth of the word of life. It showed you that you are a sinner, and it showed you that Almighty God is a Savior, and that Amen. Almighty God is a Savior through and only through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what was shown you the morning, the evening, the afternoon, whenever it was that you got saved. You were shown that you were a sinner, and that God is a Savior. And if, if that is, is within you, and it remains in you, and you're sitting here saved, it will remain in you. If it remains in you, ye, shall, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. I know we've covered this a couple of times since we've been going through First, First John. There's a very distinct difference that John makes here in the Son and the Father as far as it being two separate persons of the triune God. 
You'll continue in the Son and in the Father. You cannot continue in one and not continue in the other, for they make up one true God. There is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. There is one, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And if we have, if we have within us what we've heard from the beginning and that remains in us and we continue in that we will continue in God the Son and God the Father. If God the Spirit's already within us, yes we're continuing in Him. That says we're going to continue with the Son and with the Father as well. We cannot continue with uh, with one and not the other two really within this particular verse with one and not the other. Uh, verse 25 and this is the promise that He has promised us even Eternal life. Praise God. Amen. This is the promise that he has promised us, even eternal life. So he gives, us, uh, uh, he gives us verse 24, which we just went through, and he tells us that if we're, basically, if we're continuing uh, with, with the Son and with the Father, that we have this promise from the Lord, and this is the promise he has promised us, even eternal life. Folks, we don't gain eternal life when we die. We have it at the moment we get saved. Jesus Christ said himself, he, he that hath believed in me hath eternal life. That's present tense, both times. He that, he that believeth, that's present tense, it's actually present perfect tense. He that believeth in me hath, that's present perfect tense, eternal life. The moment I believed in Jesus Christ, I had eternal life then. There is a false doctrine going around now that says that we do not inherit eternal life until we have died. That goes contrary to what the scripture teaches. And it's not only here in 1 John that it's taught either. It's all throughout, especially the New Testament, but really it's all throughout the Bible. That, 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 that eternal life, it's just that. It's exactly what it says. It's eternal. Amen. It's, it's eternal. It'll last forever. God is an eternal, and God is life. And therefore, if it comes from God, it's eternal. It's eternal. It says, this is the promise he has promised us, even eternal life. Now, in a great big broad picture of things, anyone, and that includes everyone, anyone that has ever been created in the image of Almighty God has eternal life big picture but you'll either spend your eternal life in heaven or you'll spend your eternal life in hell hell is not eternal life in a spiritual sense hell is actually eternal death the way that scripture describes it the way scripture describes hell is, is death over and over and over and you never really truly die that's why the bible calls it the second death you have one death, which is physical, but you have another death, which is spiritual, and that one will last forever and ever and ever and ever. So, like I said, in a great, in the great big scheme of things, your soul is eternal. My soul is eternal. So every one of us have eternal life in that sense. But to gain eternal life from God is to gain the life that Almighty God has that he has imparted to us through his son, Jesus Christ, at the moment of our conversion, at the moment of our belief, at the moment that the Holy Spirit come within us, we gain eternal life in the spiritual sense then. So, and this is the promise that he has promised. The promise from God. 
And God's not a and God's not a man that he could lie or that he should lie. God cannot lie. And this is a promise from him that we have eternal life. That he has promised us uh, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. Once again, keeping keeping in mind that the context that we are in here is 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 the context of John warning about Antichrist and the spirit of Antichrist. Keep that in mind that and that began at verse 15. It says, These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. So many times we see that word seduce or the word seduction, and we want to, and we're all adults in here, we want to we want to categorize that in a sexual sense. And that's not necessarily always the case. We can be seduced all kinds of different ways and all kinds of different manners. Folks, the, the, the antichrist spirits that are out there. Those that are against God, uh, those that are uh, that are instead of Jesus Christ, uh, or beside Jesus Christ, uh, these spirits they seduce us with all kinds of things, with all kinds of temptations. It's not necessarily uh, a man for a woman or a woman for a man. It can be money. It can be it can be power. It can be uh, clout. It can be all kinds of things that they seduce us with. So you, you need to broaden your mind a little bit. Think outside the box a little bit. When we see this word seduce and the word seduction in the, in the scriptures when we read it. Because it's not just talking about uh, uh, on a sexual plane there. But he says, these things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. He's encouraging the believers. Once again, the first and second generation church. Uh, the first and second generation of people that had heard about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He, he's uh, speaking to these people, or writing to these people. He says, these things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. And remember in verse 24 here in 1 John chapter 2, he says, uh, he's reminding them to let the word of life abide within them. Let that which they have heard from the beginning abide within them. Let it dwell within you. Let it live within you. And folks, the only way you will uh, that the word of God will truly uh, uh, abide within you is if you keep your nose in it. You keep your nose in this word. Jesus Christ, we have three temptations of Jesus that were recorded in the scripture, and every time he rebutted Satan, he used scripture to do so. Without this scripture knowledge, folks, we don't stand a chance against the devil. I ain't saying that all power is within us. We have no power against Satan. But the Holy Spirit that lives within us, coupled with the word of God, that's the power that's going to keep Satan at bay. That's the power that will keep the demons at bay, the temptations and the seductions that we're talking about. These are the things that will keep Satan at, at, at bay. Amen. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. And ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches, teacheth you of all things, and is true, and is no lie, and, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Back up to the first line of verse 27. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. We talked about this word anointing a little bit last week when we talked about the unction in the previous, uh, or in the same passage of scripture, but in last week's lesson as we were going through this. Folks, the word for unction that is spoken there in verse 20 is the exact same word that's used for anointing. The exact same Greek term is used for anointing that is used for unction. And, that's, and I brought that up last week. And what is that anointing that we all have in common? 
Now listen, you might have a gift from God that I don't have. Some folks can play basketball. I can't. I ain't saying that's necessarily a gift from God, but that, that's, that's, a, that's a dramatic example. But some people have the gift of teaching. Some people have the gift of preaching. Some people have all kinds of gifts that are, that are described in the Word of God. Some people have the gift of praying. That's a, that's a gift from God. As far as it goes, that doesn't mean that if you don't have that gift, you can't pray to God. But some people have, have, have a particular gift. Of the, uh, of the Holy Spirit and the, and the Bible teaches that some some men, some women, uh, some people have these gifts severally, meaning that they can have more than one gift. Some people can teach and preach. Some people can sing and, and pray. Some people can do all kinds of things. Some people might only have one gift. But that's not the anointing that he's talking about. We talked about it last week when I talked about having an unction from the Holy One. Folks, the only anointing we've got from God that we all, as born-again Christians, have is the Holy Spirit of God. We can meet on that common ground, on the common ground of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to show you, if you're born again, and show me being born again, that he's going to point directly toward Jesus Christ. Jesus said himself that the Holy Spirit would come and he would testify of Jesus Christ. He didn't say he'd do all these other weird things that we see him uh, supposedly doing in some of the churches and some of the services that we see now. It says he will testify of Jesus Christ. Not only that, but it says he's also come to convict the world of a, of a few different things. We're not going to get into that because I'm going to end up teaching something else. But the Holy Spirit has specific jobs. And much of what some people, particularly in the charismatic movement, are saying is the Holy Spirit is not the Holy Spirit at all because it's very unbiblical. It's very unbiblical what they're talking about. And going back to this word anointing, going back to that word, the Greek word there is charisma, not charisma, but charisma, but it's where we get our word charisma from. But the word for unction and the word for anointing is charisma in, in the Greek. But you have people saying, I have... I have a healing anointing. I have an overcoming anointing. I have this anointing and that anointing. Folks, and they'll use this scripture and very similar passages to, uh, to justify what they're saying. Folks, that isn't what John's talking about here. John is talking about the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He says, but the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you. What do we hear preached and taught all the time? God dwells within me in form of the Holy Spirit. That's the anointing that abides in me. And if you're born again, that's the anointing that abides in you. And no other anointing will. That is God himself that has come down to tabernacle with his people, which he has yes. saved, which he has chosen, which he sought out in their darkest, which he sought out in their sin, which he looked back in the deep crevices of wherever it was that they were and he found them and he shined the gospel light into their hearts and he convicted them of their sins and he saved their unworthy souls then the spirit of God came in and it abideth within me and it abideth within you if you're here and you're born again but the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you and ye need not that any man teach you boy this is taken out of context a lot of times too you need not that any man teach you. Why are you standing up there teaching us? Yeah. I've, I've, heard, I've heard it preached, folks. I, I hate to say it, but I have. I've heard it preached that exact same way. Not by anybody that was credible, but I have heard it come from pulpits. 
that's not what it's saying. It's not, it's not saying you have no need of any man. In fact, uh, like I said, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is teaching. It is teaching. So why would the Holy Spirit, why would God give that gift through the Holy Spirit to someone if teaching wasn't needed? What, what do we have? What do we have? We have the gospel. We have the gospel. That I, even though I'm already a born-again child of God and I'm on my way to heaven, praise God for it, even though I have that, I still need someone to remind me of the gospel. And I still want someone to remind me of the gospel. I want someone to teach me about Jesus. I want someone to tell me about the life that he lived. I want someone to yes, tell me and God. remind me of the death that he suffered on my behalf. I want someone to teach me these things. And people, and I've heard it said, I've had it said to me, Spencer, you're a teacher. You shouldn't need teaching, folks. I need teaching more as a teacher than possibly you all do as congregants, as parishioners. I still need to be taught, and I still need Amen. to be reminded of the gospel. I still need to re be reminded that it was not within my power to save me. It was within the power of God Amen. to save me, and through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ that I was saved. Therefore, I cannot boast in my salvation. That salvation was a gift from God. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. Praise God, it lives within us. And ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches, teacheth you of all things. We talked about this word all a little bit last, last week. And y'all have heard me say over and over, all means all, does it not? Of course it does. But what all things are we talking about? Specifically in 1 John, these things which you have heard from the beginning this is the all thing. This is no different than when Jesus speaks sometimes in the gospel. And, and you read this, uh, there's probably three or four instances of it that I can think of. But Jesus speaks and it says, and all heard. Does that mean everyone all over the earth heard Jesus when he spoke? No, it meant all that was within earshot of Jesus at that time. They heard it. But if there was people down in Egypt and Jesus Christ was in Galilee, I promise you them folks in Egypt didn't hear it. So the all, we got to be careful with this word all. Yes, it means all, period. But we have to take it in the context that it's spoken in and that it's given in. But as the same anointing teaches you of all things, the Holy Spirit will teach, uh, teach, teaches us all things, all things pertaining to what? These things which you have heard from the beginning. It teaches us the gospel, and it teaches us the right road. It teaches us the, 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 the straight path. And the narrow gate. These are the things that the Holy Spirit will teach us. It teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Even as the Holy Spirit teaches you, not as some man might teach you. Now, folks, I do my best not to stir you all astray when I stand up here and teach, or when I preach for that matter. I'm sure Brother Vern does the same thing. But the Holy, but I am no substitute for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate teacher. The Holy Spirit will guide you into all truths according uh, to the scriptures. He'll guide you into these things. But John here writes, uh, teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. So not only, not only, remember we're talking about the anointing that abides within us. Now John's kind of done a 180 here, and he says, uh, even as I told you, ye shall abide in him. 
Well, for abiding in Christ, what better protection do we have than to know that we that we abide in Christ, that we abide in the very word of life that God that John began this epistle with. That we abide within that. We live within that. We live inside that. Christ lives in us, and, and, and we live in him. It's a mutual thing. It's a, it's a mutual relationship that we, that we have with him. So we, we've gone from the Holy Spirit abiding within us to even, even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. To us abiding within Jesus Christ by way of the Holy Spirit, by way of that same unction or that same anointing. Verse 28, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. This is a, yet another verse. All kinds of First John is taken out of context many, many times. And this is one of the worst verses for it. It says, uh, Now little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him as coming. The key word here is we. John's saying we, including himself in this. So many times I've heard this very verse and a few other ones taken uh, way out of the context and, and just outright misquoted. And saying, uh, you know, lost people are going to be ashamed at the coming of Jesus Christ. John was a born-again Christian. He was a saint of God. But he's including himself in this statement. So people that say people are going to be ashamed, or lost people are going to be ashamed at the coming of Christ. That's not what John's getting at here. He's getting at saved people. He's talking about saved people. Lost people are going to be in fear at the coming of Christ. There's going to be some saved people. I'm talking about genuinely saved people that are going to be ashamed at the coming of Christ. Why? This whole passage that we began this morning, starting in verse 24, is talking about an unction, an anointing, and someone living within us, and us living within someone as we just covered in the last verse. And some people at the coming of Christ are going to discover they weren't living as close to Christ as they should have. They weren't living, they weren't abiding and not letting the word of life abide within them as they should have. And therefore, at his coming, we're talking about the saints of God, at his coming, they'll be ashamed. They'll be ashamed. Like I said, folks, lost people will fear the coming of Jesus Christ. They're, they'll be afraid at the coming. They're not afraid right now. you got an entire lost world out there boasting and, and, and their pride. Saying, where is your God now? Where is his second coming? Some of y'all may have seen online, I've seen at two or three different events, uh, people holding up signs, if Jesus Christ comes, uh, if Jesus Christ uh, comes in a second return, kill him again. I've seen these things, folks, and I've heard people say very similar things. I've seen, I've seen, uh, seen and heard uh, people say, and people have it on signs, if Christ was aborted, we wouldn't have been in the shape that we're in right now. I've seen these things. These people have no fear of God right now. But when Christ comes, when Christ comes, and they see the truth coming in the sky, and they see, they see the word of life coming, they will be in fear. But we as saints of God, some of us, are going to be ashamed because of the unction that we have abiding in us and the anointing that we have abiding within us, knowing that we should have been closer to God than what we were. That's going to cause shame to fall on us 
on us as born-again believers. So he said, now little children, we've covered the little children thing a couple of times since we started 1 John. This was a term of endearment that he used. He's not claiming them all as his physical children. It was very simply a term of endearment that he used. Uh, but, but he commands them again, now little children, abide in him. Abide in him, but he tells us why. He says that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed. Not be ashamed of his coming. Verse 29, I got just a few minutes. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. We've got to be careful with this verse. Once again, this can be taken out of context and it can be wrongly interpreted. Uh, just plain out wrongly interpreted. There's all kinds of lost folks out here that do a lot of good in this room. Just because someone feeds a few homeless people or clothes a few naked people, just because they do that, that doesn't mean that they're saved. Mm -hmm. James, James says, show me thy faith without thy works, I'll show thee my faith by my works. Mm -hmm. if, we, if we are indeed saved, we will have good works to back up the faith that we say that we have. Just because someone has good works does not mean that they've got the faith. We've got to be careful with this. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. What is righteousness? Well, very plainly put, Jesus Christ is righteous. Jesus Christ is the righteous. Jesus Christ is the just. Jesus Christ is holiness. Jesus Christ is all these things. So if we keep this in consideration that Jesus Christ himself is righteousness. If you know that he is righteous, and I know that he is righteous because this book right here tells me just how righteous Jesus Christ is. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. So in other words, it's not just because someone stops and, and gives the feller on the side of the road that's holding the sign that he's hungry. They stop and give him a Big Mac or a quarter pounder. That doesn't mean that they're saved. That doesn't necessarily even make that a righteous act. It's a kind-hearted act, yes. And it's a good act, yes. But folks, our kind-heartedness and our goodness and our works and our righteousness will not get us to heaven and will not put us in relationship with Jesus Christ. The only thing that can put us with, in relationship with Jesus Christ is the word of life abiding within us and us abiding in the word of life. Holy Spirit will put us in relationship with Jesus Christ. Then Jesus Christ can become our mediator with God the Father. He can become our intercessor with God the Father. That's the only way that that can work. So when we read, if you know that he is righteous, and we do, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Everyone that doeth righteousness, everyone that doeth good deeds, everyone that does the good works, everyone that clothes the naked, that feeds the hungry, that visits those, that visits them, they take care of the sick, and all these other things that we read about in the scripture, but they do it to the glory of God, and they do it in the name of Jesus Christ. These are the ones that we can say, this is a righteous brother, this is a righteous sister in Christ. Good works don't make us good. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only thing that is good. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that brings us to the end of that chapter. Anybody got any questions or comments on that?